May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Do we have any list makers among us? I know who you are. You people who make these lists of all the things you have to do in a day, and then you prioritize them by numbers, and then you go through and methodically check them off, item after item, as your day goes along. You lie down in bed at the end of the day, and you remember, oh, there was one more thing, and you get up and you go do it. I'm not among you. I'm your friend. I love you. But I'm not part of that group. Um, There are others that are procrastinators. Any procrastinators among us? Oh, I know you too. Yes, yes. We are the better sort. Um, We wait until the last minute, the very last minute, and then we rush to get everything done, trying desperately to remember all those things that we were supposed to do. In fact, so problematic is this that we decided to make a club, the Procrastinators Anonymous Club, And our meeting is tomorrow. We were going to meet today, but for obvious reasons, decided to put it off. (laughs) So whether you're a little Mr. Miss Efficiency or um, a cool guy like me, um, there are some things that just have to be done, don't they? I mean, Christmas cards, if they're going to get there by Christmas, you've got to get them in the mail by the 23rd. Everybody who's laughing got a Christmas card for me, like, on the 27th, you know. Uh, Library books. You get them there on day, or, you know, you pay the fine. Uh, Parking fines must be paid within 10 days, or the fine doubles. Anyone want to venture a guess as to how I know that? Yeah. (laughs) Taxes, April 15th. Unless the 15th falls on a weekend, and then it's a procrastinator's, uh, you know, joy, everything that goes on. The dog gets put out when the dog needs to go out. You had better do that on time. Babies need fed when babies need fed. And on the opening day of football season, you had better be in front of a television or in a stadium at 1 o'clock. Am I right? Yes. Um, Some of us procrastinators think that the world will wait, and it won't. I mean, the world just kind of pushes on. Some things have to happen when they have to happen. But there are times in life, maybe they're very far and few between, and they're glorious, when all you have to do is nothing. I don't know if you look forward to those moments like I do. Uh, The opportunity when you have to do nothing. Nothing is required. There is nothing that has to be done. And I know they're very far and few between. I mean, school kids, they have homework, and they've got sports, and they've got friends, and they've got, you know, whatever. Um, Adults, we have all those sorts of things. Even when you go on vacation, you've got to lug everything to the beach, or, you know, you have to make it to dinner reservations, or a show time. Or a tea time, and there's always some, some schedule out there looming, waiting on you, you know, making sure that you're where you're supposed to be. Um, the thing that I found more rare than the dodo bird is free, unscheduled time. And I love it whenever it happens, and it happens so, so very rarely. Can you imagine a full day or uh, uh, just a couple hours where there's nothing scheduled, where you have nothing to do? There's this commercial on TV, um, uh, this girl leaves her credit card at a at a restaurant, and so she has like this this remote control where she pauses life. You know, like everything in the world stops except for her, and she runs back to the restaurant where she left her credit card, and there it is, lying in the little uh, folder. And she pulls it out, sticks it back, and then you know restarts life. You know, like 
And I thought to myself, wouldn't that be fantastic to have? You know, like you had this little remote that you could just pause everything and you could still remain in in motion. And I wondered what some of y'all would do if you could do that. And I know what some of you would do. You would push pause and then go mow the grass so that you could get it done real fast, you know, or you'd wash the dishes. What a total waste of time, right? You have a chance to do nothing, do it. You know, enjoy that moment. Embrace it. As some of you would update your Facebook status, you would say, the whole world has stopped and I'm updating my Facebook status, you know. I might find that a bit of a waste of time as well. Some of us who are really bright would do nothing. We would take advantage of that moment and do nothing. But here's the thing. No matter what you would choose to do, there's someone who would look at you and say, what a complete waste of time. What a complete waste of time. No matter what your proclivities towards how you spend it, somebody would say that you had wasted it. In the first century, there were these religious types. They were, um, they were called the Pharisees, and I've spoken of them before. Good people. I mean, they're people who, um, who were, uh, you know, they kept Sabbath. They went to uh, synagogue on every Sabbath. They kept the Ten Commandments. They prayed every day. They kept a kosher diet. I was thinking about how, um, how Brigham Young University never gets invited to the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans, even if they deserve it. And the rule is because Mormons show up in New Orleans with two things, the Ten Commandments and a $50 bill, and they won't break either one of them. So um, this is sort of the Pharisaic way of living in the first century. I see, yeah, some of you just now got that. You're like, oh, that was pretty funny. Um, yeah. The Pharisees showed up in the first century, and they were like that. They were the people who were, they were meticulously religious. And many of them were attracted to Jesus. They challenged him, yes, but they, were, they would have applauded him on many things. When Jesus overturns the tables in the, in the temple, the Pharisees would have been ecstatic with, with uh, congratulations. They would have loved to see him do that. Because he was upturning the sort of um, religious uh, oppression of people and, and he was taking the commerce out of the temple. They would have loved to have seen that. Sadducees, not so well, but the Pharisees would have loved it. When Jesus talked about resurrection, the Pharisees would have been, they would have been a, a, like Pentecostals at a tent revival. They would have been so thrilled. They would have been, a, a, you know, shouting and applauding. And, and it's no, no um, you know, small thing that many of them became followers of Jesus. But there are other times when they would have looked at him like he had three heads. Where they would have thought, you know, literally, what in God's name are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you? And they, they would rarely stay quiet in these times. Like in today's reading. You, you heard what's going on. Jesus is, um, he's holding a meeting. He's, um, he's seated like rabbis would be. He's seated and he's teaching and there are people who are gathering around to hear him. And um, and suddenly um, up into his group comes a, a well-known prostitute, and she sits down. And perhaps several others show up. And then some tax collectors come, and they're among them. Tax collectors are actually hated. They are viewed as more immoral than prostitutes in the first century. And I'll tell you why. Because they would extort money from their fellow citizens. They would pay the Romans whatever they had to pay, the minimum, and then they would keep the rest for themselves. They would actually make themselves rich on the taxes of other people. And they were hated for this. Uh, and so here you have, you have these, these tax collectors and these prostitutes and probably, you know, you're, you're one of the mill kind of thieves and, and, and drunks and, and all the sorts of people that were part of the society. And instead of telling them to get away, 
what does Jesus say? I, I mean, it's not in the text, but you have to assume that this is what he says. Uh, John, Peter, Matthew, move over. Make room for our guests. Let them sit here. Come on, let them make room for them. And the Pharisees are starting to grumble about this. Must have been in the crowd as well. What's with this fellow? Why does he welcome? Why does he allow these people? Send them away. That's what you should be doing. Tell them to get away, to leave, get out of here. And I wonder how many of us would probably be inclined to do the same sort of thing today. Oh, no, you're the wrong sort. Go, get out of here. But Jesus doesn't tell the Pharisees to shut up. Nor does he tell the notorious sinners to go away. Instead, he breaks out into story. I like this about Jesus. Whenever there's something to be said, instead of a a straight didactic discourse, it's almost always a story. In fact, in this case, it's three stories. We only get two of them today. But these stories come in a direct response to the grumbling, the complaining, the the implied question. Verse 2, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled and said, this fellow welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Each of Jesus' stories contain the same motif. Something important has been lost, and the, the one who wants to find it searches diligently until they find it. There's a sense of urgency about this. This thing that's lost must be found, and so they're searching to find it. They're almost panicked until they find it. The first one is a shepherd. A shepherd who has a hundred sheep and loses one. Uh, runs off, leaves the young boys probably with the sheep. Here, you watch these sheep. And he leaves the 99 to go search for the one. Can you imagine this? In the ancient world, this, this shepherd, you know, in his sandal-clad feet and his, um, his robe, and he's, he's out into the night with his little lantern. I picture him calling the sheep by name. Mabel. That's what I would name my sheep, Mabel. Mabel, you know, where are you? And he's, he's out running, hunting for... His little lamb. And he's searching and he's searching. And in his mind, he knows that he has to hurry up and find this lamb. Because if, if he doesn't find her quickly, then a wolf or a lion or some other predator will. And so he searches diligently until he finds her. And did you notice that Jesus says this is a reasonable thing to do? How does he begin it? Which one of you, if you had a hundred sheep, wouldn't do this. This is the most reasonable thing to do. You would leave the 99. You'd go hunt for that one, which it's, it's totally reasonable. And he discovers it. And he finds this little lamb. And he, he, he picks it. Well, he doesn't even run up to it and, and smack it, you know, you dirty, naughty lamb. You know, what are you doing? He doesn't tell it what sort of punishment miscreant lambs deserve, right? He picks it up. And he puts it over its shoulders. And he starts to sing a song as he rejoices and heads home. And he gathers all his friends together and says, Look, look what I found. Mabel, she's home. The second story is sort of the same thing, right? There's a woman. She has ten coins. She loses one. And she tears the house to shreds hunting for it. She has to find it. And some of you business people say, Hey, a ten percent loss, you know. Take it with a It happens, right? It's a downturn in the economy. Everybody loses some money sometime. Uh, no, for her, this is the, maybe the difference between eating and not. Or even this, did you know that in the ancient world, that women would put in their headdress for their wedding 
a string of ten coins. And so one that's lost is like losing a wedding ring. This is more than just money. And she lights a lamp and she searches in the cracks of the floor. She's looking all over until she finds it. And what happens in the moment when she finds it? She rejoices. She clutches that coin to her breast. She, she, she thanks God. Oh, thank you, Lord. I found that coin that I lost. You know how much this meant to me. You have lost something before. You, have, you know what it feels like to go searching for that thing that's so important. It's important maybe only to you. But you're going to hunt down that you're going to find this thing. I grew up, my family's Lutheran. I remember my Catholic friends, they had this, you know, this, this great prayer, you know, to St. Anthony. Tony, Tony, turn around, something lost must be found. You guys know this one? Okay, you must not grow up in the same neighborhoods I did. All right, but, and then they would take, in the St. Anthony, the St. Anthony statue has got a baby Jesus, you know. And they would take little baby Jesus and they'd put him in a drawer that's underneath the St. Anthony statue. They held Jesus hostage until St. Anthony came through and found the thing that they had lost. I don't know if that's a vital part of anybody's theology, but um, on occasion, you know, I go see Kirby and say, hey, can I borrow St. Anthony? You know, I'm looking for something. What do you do when you've lost something and you find it and you're so thrilled? You rejoice. You tell people, look, I lost this. I found it. It was gone. Now it's back. I know you're way ahead of me. These aren't stories about lost sheep or about lost coins. They're about lost people. Jesus, why do you keep company with riffraffs? Why do you keep company with the dregs of society? Why are you hanging out with these sort of people? And you know the answer. Because they're lost. (laughs) And I'm searching for them. They're lost, listen to this, and they matter. They matter to me and they matter to God. That he's pursuing people. The people that nobody else is pursuing, he's pursuing. They matter to him. The people that others call riffraff and scum and trash and losers, and whatever else, these people matter to God. And he is desperate in his search for them. Each one of these stories has a sense of desperation. I don't know what this says to you, but it says this to me. That we are not a waste of time. That we matter to God. That we matter to him so much that he pursues us and hunts for us. And the people that we think are on the outside are the people that he's pursuing the most. We might give up on ourselves. Other people might give up on us. Oh my goodness, what a waste of time. This story says the Lord Jesus never gives up on us. He never stops pursuing us. Um, There's a fellow who's a real hero of mine. His name is Dennis Kinlaw. I'm not sure if he's still alive. If he is, he's late into his 90s, and so he wouldn't be long with us. But he had uh, many jobs. Most of all, he was a Methodist minister and the president of Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky, for a number of years. He has this great North Carolina accent. 
that he's never lost, even though he has a Ph.D. in Semitic languages and ancient Near Eastern literature from Brandeis University in New York. Um, Brilliant man. He has forgotten more about biblical literature and theology than I'll ever know. Um, And so when I'm around him and the chances I've had, I do what's rare for me is I shut up and I listen. You know, it's it's really hard for some of you um, to believe about me, but it it does happen on occasion. Anyway, um, he always has these great insights, these fantastic things that he would say. And I remember this one time we were together in this seminar and there was just a, a, you know, a dozen of us. And... um, and he was talking about a particular issue, and, and it made me think of a book. And so I, I actually asked him, you know, have you read this book? Of course he had. And, and I said that someone told me that I needed to read it, that it was a really good book. And he starts to chuckle. And he says, um, he said, Joe, if somebody tells you to read a book because it's a good book, tell them, I'm sorry, I just don't have time. Because there's too many great books out there. <laughs> don't waste your time reading good books. Because there are too many great ones. You won't be able to read all the great ones if you, read, if you waste your time on good ones. I still waste my time on good ones. I even waste my time on ones that are not so good. But I get the point. that There's a lot of good books out there, a lot of great ones. People waste a lot of time. I waste an enormous amount of time. Um, the Lord Jesus does not consider, consider the pursuit of sinners a waste of time. He considers it the most important thing in the world. Don't ever, ever forget that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.